This episode is supported by Manning Publications. You can find the Manning Publication website at manning.com and uh, today you can get a 40% discount on the Manning platform for all products using promo code poddatasc-at-home-19. But don't worry, you will find all this information in the show notes of this episode. Enjoy! This is Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Caraletta. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to Data Science at Home podcast, where we talk about technology, machine learning and algorithms. Today, I am with uh, Oliver Zagerman, the author of yeah. um, Deep Learning Crash Course. Hi, Oliver. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks a lot. I'm excited about this. <laughs> so yeah, you are the author of Deep Learning Crash Course, um, which is a course about indeed deep learning published by Manning Publications, manning.com. Of course, we'll report all the contacts uh, and the links in the show notes of this episode. So Oliver, can you give us a small introduction about you, yourself, your relation with the machine learning or deep learning to the listeners of Data Science at Home? Yes, I'm happy to do that. So, um, as you already said, I'm Oliver Zeigermann, so my last name is extremely hard to pronounce for everyone but me or other German people. So, I studied uh, artificial intelligence and general computer science in the 90s, so this is quite a few decades ago. Um, and at that time, neural networks did exist. Um, I used them, but they just didn't work. So, um, they didn't work because they were too small in the architecture. We didn't have a lot of compute power and we did not have good training data. So because of that, I was more or less um, like a general programmer for 15 years, I would say. Um, but when I found out that all the things that did not work during my studies um, now work or might work, I uh, changed back to being a machine learning person. Um, and that's what I did for the past, I don't know, maybe three, maybe four years. Um, because I was a programmer before that, I know, um, at least I, I think I know, what it takes for a programmer to uh, become a machine learning person and what shift of mindset it needs or what's a different approach. And because of that, I thought I might give back some of that experience and make a course where I teach people who um, actually are more or less beginners in that field and might be programmers um, what they need to get into machine learning. Just curiosity, yeah. uh, what programming languages do you use for your daily work? Right now, so um, almost all of the time it's Python, but um, I started using JavaScript, which sounds like a horrible idea. <laughs> and to a certain extent it is, um, but we will come to it a little bit later why it might be, even though it, it, it sounds like a bad idea, why it might be a good idea to actually do this. Sure. Um, I'm really curious ah, to know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm keeping up the tension a bit. <laughs> okay. <Hang> so <laughs> my question is, why did you choose deep learning in particular as the main topic of your course? Um, so I also used classic machine learning before, like the stuff that you do with the scikit-learn. Um, but I felt like um, the the future or the, the really exciting things that you can do in machine learning 
might not be in the area of the classic machine learning. It's extremely useful, and often I just use classic machine learning models. But I think, um, I think we will talk about this a little bit later as well. I think the future of machine learning will be in deep learning, that is, neural networks of all kinds. Um, and I thought that that might be also more interesting to a lot of people. And then, quite honestly, deep learning just uh, maybe it sounds a little bit better than saying I'm doing uh, linear regression. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel I feel the same when whenever I use like off the shelf machine learning, so to speak. Okay. So, what do you think? You know, from an educational perspective, since you are a veteran, I must say. Um, in the field. <laughs> well, at, yeah, I am. <laughs> you cannot deny that. I mean, when yes, someone yes. has in the background more than 10 years uh, or 15 years, I definitely consider him a, a veteran in the field. Uh, now, what do you think a new practitioner should start learning today in order to understand and play a role in the world of the future? Right. So, as I started saying, I think um, the future... Um, will be in neural networks um, and in all kinds of neural networks that that would be um, and all kinds of uh, machine learning settings that would be um, supervised learning stuff which I um, almost exclusively um, teach in the course but there's also the unsupervised parts which are maybe even more exciting and there's also the reinforcement learning part that also benefits heavily from um, deep neural networks. So I would really say that the basics that you really need to understand is how you train a neural network and what are the challenges of it. And then from that, I think um, you or almost everyone can can uh, continue on their own and find out about all the nifty tiny details about all the other uh, approaches. But the real core of that you need to understand is how does a neural network work and what does it take to train it? Um, and then maybe removing all the hype. I mean, the, that's that's what's, what the course is about. Why is it so hard? Why is it extremely, um, or maybe extremely hard or almost impossible to understand what's going on? And that's that's quite also an emotional challenge. At least for me, it was being a programmer. You should know what you do and if you don't then you will be in trouble soon but as a machine learning person maybe you you need to change that attitude and that also comes through in the course what regarding still i want to stay you know a bit on the course yeah. uh, what will the average user learn from this course do you think it's gonna become a neural network rock star or <laughs> or just understanding the the how it works uh, can he use this stuff in you know for daily projects or for his future projects so this course can i mean it's it's a two i think it's in total two hours of me talking and then there's a lot of exercises and uh, lectures that means um um I also teach this this course as a workshop, and then it will take around one day. But obviously, I mean, how would it be possible to learn in one day what most people, I don't know, they, they take years um, to actually master that stuff. So it's just, it can only be a kickoff, and the real learning starts after that. And it starts when you really apply this, and um, the lessons that you have to learn are while you're doing it. Um, and but I try to prepare the people as 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 good as possible 
to, uh, I don't know, to make this a more pleasant experience. But the learning starts after the course, the real stuff that you, that you, um, that you need to understand. And I think this is also very special to deep learning on neural networks. You need to get intuition for, for um, how should I put it? <laughs> um, intuition for how this, this thing works. And this is pretty strange. It feels much, much more like an art than actually mm -hmm. a craft. Um, and this, this can also be confusing to people, um, but this is how I see it. So um, there are some recipes and guidelines that I also try to teach how you approach the, the problem that you go step by step, um, that you overfit at a certain point, um, and then later you regularize regularize sorry i'm always having <laughs> trouble with that word um so um yes there are some recipes but uh, the real learning and i'm repeating myself here i understand um starts after the course can you give us some more practical informations about this course like how many lessons should we expect how many parts it is divided in and how many hours should uh, an average um, student uh, let me call it like that is expected in order to finish to complete the course so as i said it's just two hours of, of lectures two hours of me talking and then exercises and i've been told it's totally possible to finish that in a weekend so wow okay you can, you can do that so it's called crash course because of that mm -hmm. and uh one of my specialties and it's always been one of my specialties is uh, to as well to as much as it is possible leave out everything that's not totally necessary so this is this has always been my um my, my real work cut off everything that's not really necessary because uh at least for me i don't have a lot of time to do things and i always get annoyed if i <laughs> well uh well that's why i like twitter for example because people are forced to put whatever they have into 140 and now 280 characters so that's what i tried um yeah, so that's totally possible to finish this in a weekend if you if you really want to. Um, yeah. Well, that, indeed, that's not easy to be very synthetic on a, a massive topic like the one of neural networks, as you said. You know, uh, it's an art, and I totally agree with that. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people think it's a magic box, so that you know they can just apply deep learning to you know throw deep learning to the problem and, and solve the problem <laughs> when in fact there is a lot oh, of yeah. indeed the art the creative part of how to for example to transform the data uh, oh, what yeah. data how to feed the network and then the architecture and, and stuff like that so um, i'm pretty sure that yeah the average user can grasp all this uh, in in your crash course but i want to go now to one you know, one of the main reasons of this call is to know more about your one of your personal projects that you are <laughs> developing. Oh, yeah. Can I say in stealth mode or? <laughs> no, no, it's not stealth mode. Okay. It's open source. All I right. will give the link later and people can play with it. Interesting. So, so I actually, well, yeah. maybe I should say it. I actually thought about like making this a product, mm. but um, I'm not a product person, um, but maybe if someone else wants, I don't know. <laughs> the cost uh, so so the source is 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 out there but it's in javascript so oh, okay <laughs> maybe that's the reason people that w wouldn't like to have it but um yeah so what is it uh so um as this is a podcast i can't show pictures but the picture would explain it very easily so it's um it's um it's a set up so it's 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 like a setting where you can train 
in your browser, a neural network uh, to predict which buttons a user is going to click next. And there are two approaches to this. So the first approach is you track the mouse movements, um, the history of mouse movements, um, and using them, um, you predict which button is going to be clicked next. So not by mm. which button has been clicked before, but the movement of the mouse. And this is obviously, be, this is trained by the uh, mouse movements the users already made or mouse movements other users have made to reach a certain mm -hmm. button. So as I said, if I could show this in a short video, it would be totally obvious. If I, sure. if I move the mouse towards a certain button and then eventually I click on it, this would count as, as, as uh, one training data set. And then, so yeah. So okay, let me let me stop you uh, for a second because I already have a ton of questions. So this is a next button to click predictor. Let me call it like that. Um, yes. That basically predicts given certain input data, which you will uh, expand on soon. Yeah. Um, it predicts where the user is going to uh, click next. Uh, what, yes. First of all, what do you think by next? next second next hour next just next <laughs> click <laughs> and the second ac uh, question that i have yeah. and then i will i will uh, le let you speak <laughs> it's uh, it's about the web the page template so do you have a specific page template where you know exactly which button is where or does this apply to a pretty much generic domain where buttons can be anywhere on the page what do you what do you say so um, the first question about what do I mean by next, um, I actually have two approaches that I tried. And um, the next button to click, I think in both cases, is in the next seconds. So um, the, the initial idea is about improving user experience. That means um, if you are pretty sure the user is going to click on a certain button, um, in the next few seconds, you can do something to the button. I mean, if, if, if it's a like a dangerous button, like a delete button, you might move it away <laughs> a little bit. That might be, I, I'm not quite sure that's, that's a good idea. You might move it away a little bit or make it a little bit smaller to make sure um, the user is actually very sure that, that they want to click on that. Um, but you can also highlight the button and then and, and, um, tell the user, that's probably the button that you're going to click next or you want to click next. And that depends on what data you were training on. So as I said, I have two approaches. The first approach is uh, mouse movements. And then it's, I don't know if it's really very useful, but it might be. Um, so that you that you just highlight the button. And the, the second approach is um, predicting the next button to click based on the previous button that the users clicked. That might be actually quite useful if you have a complex user interface, something like an IDE, what that program is used, and you want to get started. And there's a typical sequence of buttons that you click, but not so typical that you could put it in the wizard. So that, that's always the same. Um, so that was the first question. Why I was answering the first question, I forgot the, the second. The, 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 oh, the yeah, page template. Okay. Yeah. Yes, the, the, the setup. No, so this is completely generic. So um, it can be applied to any setup of any page. Um, all you have to do is um, you make um, known to the to, to the machine learning part um, which button is is clicked or I don't know which which yes which button is clicked or which button you're hovering over, and once you have that it it, it should in theory I've never tried it for all 
uh, web pages, obviously, it should in theory work for all web pages. So there's there's no um, there's no required setup of of the page. And so going to the, I mean, regardless of the how can one use this, one to the top of my, yes. my head is like marketing, for example, or advertisers. Where can they place an advertisement in the page? You know, following following the predictor, I would say, you know, if I were a product guy, I would definitely use your stuff for predicting where in the page should I, you know, I better place an advertisement because I know that the user is going to click around that corner. And so I would target that corner as the most uh, likely position for for a targeted advertisement, for example. So you know, if you need someone who, yeah, um, you know, if you need someone to use your thing, probably marketing can be one viable uh, domain, uh, I think. But we are not here to talk about product. We're here to talk about deep learning. So <laughs> yes. But that's <laughs> yeah, well, we can eventually have a coffee on that. Like, <laughs> yeah, discuss our next startup. <laughs> yeah. So now, one thing I, I really, I'm really interesting in is um, what architecture have you used? Um, what you know, have you used neural networks first of all, and what type, um, and why did you choose such a thing? Because I have some opinions about yes. that, but I will let you. Uh, I will let you speak first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let me know about that. But uh, first, first, I will, I will, um, I will talk about my experiences. So um, the first thing that came to my mind, because I'm dealing with, in any case, uh, sequences of events or sequential data. That means a mouse events or click events, and they naturally come in as a stream of things. So the first thing I thought of was recurrent neural networks. Um, I know it's possible to not use them, but uh, uh, they do work. So the first model that I trained, maybe it wasn't the first, but the first good one that I trained was using simple recurrent neural networks, just like the, the first basic version that's not complicated, doesn't have any, any special gates inside. And surprisingly, um, it worked really well, but the prediction that it gave was always on proximity. So... Um, giving the example you move towards a button um it doesn't learn that but it only learns if you're close to a button um and that might be desirable i'm not quite sure but maybe not um and that's quite expected because uh, um those simple recurrent neural networks they are not really good at, at remembering uh, events that are that are quite in the past so that was to be expected and i quite like the result but then switching to GRUs, um, which is um, a little bit more complex internally, and and uh, they have some some uh, some means in place to make the GRU learn um, stuff that's far more, far more in the past. It actually learned um, the movement of the mouse. So I had to completely um, um, so so in order to to have it make the right prediction, I had to move and make very very similar movements to to the training data so that was also expected and depending on what you want from that model it was either superior or less superior so it wasn't as intuitive for someone who doesn't know how GRUs work because it didn't work on proximity so if you didn't move your mouse there would be no prediction um, but if, if you moved it in in the direction of a button it worked pretty well so then also I tried it with LSTMs 
Um, I always thought like GAUs of the cheaper version of LSTMs, otherwise same, but it's not true. So the LSTMs even work much better than the GAUs and I have no explanation for that. Um, and the numbers also were much worse, but if when I actually tried it, uh, the LSTMs actually had the best prediction. And that is, I mean, it's, it's a sad thing to say, but I have no clue why and welcome to my world. It's always... It's it's often like this. So you make an experiment, you have some um, you have some expectation, and then the experiment shows you no, it's not like that, and then <laughs> you use that yeah. works best. Story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> no, but this is interesting. When you say the best, um, what do you exactly mean? Like, what's accuracy here? So um, in terms, so correctingly, in terms of numbers, yeah, um, the numbers they don't tell you anything at least uh, at least in this specific case because it might mean that the that the data that you trained on are totally different from the data that the user data will um will produce so the, the model is very specific because it is trained to a specific user on a specific machine using a specific input device and that's that's also the the real strength of that model so the training all takes place in your browser um, using TensorFlow.js, that's why the JavaScript part comes in. That means it's totally specifically geared towards you, but still you have a lot of variations in the way you click on, on the buttons. That means even though the numbers for the GRU were by far the best, by far, and there was around uh, accuracy per button around 70%, um, which was quite good, I would say, they... It, it felt the worst. So the GAU felt the worst when I actually tried it because I'm not quite sure, maybe it didn't generalize well enough, which was also very hard to measure because I could only measure on the data that I have. <laughs> and uh, uh, later the data, the real world data was actually quite different. Um, and the LSTM um, felt best. So that's extremely hard to express something like the best model is the model that feels best. But if I would show you the application, you would, I'm pretty sure you would agree that the LSTM is best. And that makes it extremely hard to, um, to even measure it in terms of numbers, which model is the best. And that also makes this, um, this, this application of neural networks extremely interesting because um, you get all the interesting questions of bringing uh, machine learning into production, uh, because later you might not see the same data that you use for training and you all have this within the browser within a few minutes of training so it's, i think it's actually quite nice example of machine learning just to to conclude your your explanation which was quite detailed and, and i really appreciate that but do you define a neighborhood of the target and then you measure the accuracy with respect to that neighborhood or, or can you be more specific on that so for the evaluation, I mean, in the training data, um, what you do, like always, you split your your um, training data set in, into um, into um, test and training data, and then eventually you evaluate that on uh, on on the test data. And uh, what you do is you get as input. A sequence of mouse positions um, and that includes timestamps from one mouse position to the next that includes uh, a delta and uh, then you try to make a prediction which button is to be clicked next and the button is identified by I don't know a certain identifier which I turn into a number does that answer the question I'm not quite sure does it 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Okay, so let me go one second back to the course because yes. I'm, uh, you know, this stuff is not in the course. Just, no, just to make no, it clear. But, uh, but it will prepare you to do something like this, and it will mm. prepare you for the maybe the pain or emotional stress that you might experience when you try out models, and you don't know why they work. So it's <laughs> it's really an exp almost like science. It's 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 a lot of life like an experimental approach where you have um, you think something sh should come out. You make very small experience. You get uh, sorry very small exercises. No, still wrong. Uh, you make very small experiments, now I have it, uh, and it will teach you to be pretty humble and then it will prepare you to, to something like this. So you should be mm -hmm. able to to um, to do this uh, after the course. So this is, we can consider this an, an exam, an examination. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, makes sense. Now I have inspected your course um, and your lessons and um, uh, I really appreciated, I really liked the separation from the basic concepts, you know, the, the first part. Then there is a second part about classification with TensorFlow, which is extremely interesting, especially for the new data scientists who are getting familiar with these tools and, and libraries. But then there is a last, the last part, which is about uh, bringing your model to production. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, really, really cool because, you know, this, in my opinion, should prepare you to, uh, you know, deal with the real world, yes, right? right. So what exactly do you teach there? So as it is still um, an introductory course, I'm not going too deep into, into the theory of this. So... I mostly show people how to bring things into production technically. That means uh, how do you start up TensorFlow server? How do you deploy to the Google Cloud? And then how do you um, convert your model from um, the normal TensorFlow to TensorFlow.js to deploy that stuff in the browser? Um, I go a little bit into detail about uh, collecting actually the data for the prediction to to reevaluate later if uh, if um, if the data that that you um, that you see during production phase actually are from the same distribution as the data that you used during training phase but uh, I only like very briefly touched this so this is this is more about the mm. technical issues of, of bringing this thing actually into work somewhere how to deploy it more or less right okay is there a particular exercise that you use throughout a book or do these concepts, let's say, are, you know, they are standalone or they are methodologies that you can apply in a more general sense? So I use a single, ex uh, or a single example throughout the whole course. But um, so it's, it's, well, first of all, I should explain which example it is. It is tabular data. That means data that you might see in Excel spreadsheet or mm -hmm. you get from an SQL database. It could be um, image data. It could be um, text data. But in this case, it's tabular data because that's probably what you encounter when you're not, I don't know, when you're not training, is it a dog or a cat? So if you, if you don't have a toy example, it's pretty likely that you have something from, from a database or an Excel sheet. And this is about prediction of um, of, of uh, the risk of a car crash. Um, mm. And interesting. Well, it works quite well because I tune it way that it should work qu quite well. Um, so in order not to discourage people, um, 
but um, it doesn't work perfectly. So you will get something like 80% training accuracy, which which would be pretty good, but also realistic. Um, and the idea for using um, that single example, uh, for me, it's always, it's easiest to, I don't know, to start with one example and finish with one example. For me, it's it's easier to, to learn and I get more motivated when I see that. So that's that was the reason that I, that I was sticking to this single example. Yeah, makes sense because then you don't have to reintroduce the student to, you know, to another yes. example, giving another preamble. So, you know, you can go straight to the point that you are showing in the next lesson or part right, of right, the course. Right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I also saw that there is an introduction to notebooks and Colab. Um, so for those who are not familiar with Colab, it's a collaborative tool, uh, extremely useful. Um, I've been playing with it quite a lot <laughs> in, in the past. Uh, now, can you explain that with your words to, to the listeners of, of the podcast? And why do you think they are important, not only for the course, but also for, I would say, the career of a data scientist? Yes. So um, that Cola notebook is, well, it's, first of all, it's just a notebook. If you're familiar, I guess you're familiar with that concept, where you have a mixture of, of text and code that's executable, where the results are also cached so that you can just look at them. And it's hosted on Google hardware, which also means you get free access to Google GPUs, which right now I think are K80s, which are quite decent. Um, and you can also use TPUs for free. I'm not sure about the name of the TPU, so if that won't make sense to anyone. And that's pretty nice because uh, as it turns out for almost anything that's interesting in the world of deep neural networks you need a gpu and a decent and also um as it also turns out it needs to be an nvidia gpu and it also turns out that installing all the drivers it's it's a nightmare for people who are not i don't know even for me it, it might easily take a few hours to install all that stuff and then you get it wrong and then um so in order to get going fast and then have a decent piece of hardware there's almost at least from my perspective, no alternative to that call-up thing because you just execute it on, on Google hardware and all you need is a browser. And that's perfect for this course, but also it's very nice for uh, for the real world because it's extremely easy to share your work with someone else. And you don't need to share it publicly. Um, you can just share with your coworkers because if you want to show something or you have a problem somewhere um, and you want to, um, give people exactly the environment that you had where you had the, the problem. You can have this in a call-up. You just share the link. Um, someone else clicks on it, can make it run and see what's the problem. Or it's also nice to share knowledge where you give someone mm -hmm. else a notebook and, and show them, like I could do with a with a uh, with the example that I had before. I have a notebook for that that uses Python and I can share it with you or anyone else and you could just look at it. Or you could execute it and you can make experiments with it. It's probably... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, I mean, this would also help for reproducibility in machine learning, which is uh, one very hot topic at the moment. Like uh, all these papers, especially yeah. academic papers, you know, it's impossible or very difficult yes. to reproduce uh, even even the findings they, they claim on the paper. While with Colab, at least to the best of my knowledge or to the best of my experience, I found that indeed... Um, Sharing the collab, the, the the notebook with your colleagues helps a lot into uh, making your machine learning tool very reproducible. Absolutely, um, I'm not uh, doing any academic work, but I'm also often bothered because, as my, at least I have to read academic papers quite often, 
by read, I mean skip all the formulas and, and uh, I don't know, look for the stuff that I need. And if, if they had a call-up notebook attached to it, and sometimes they have, they start doing this. This is like gold because you can just look at the code, uh, you see if that makes if that makes sense. And I think it also gives the people who write the papers, uh, it puts another burden on them in, in the sense that they only can write about stuff that they really can uh, generate reproducibly. And uh, that's great. Yeah, Makes sense. Absolutely. Oliver, this is now, we are, we are getting to the point of the, uh, almost to the end of our episode, but I want to leave our listeners uh, with a philosophical question that I'm used to ask to, to the people I interview, uh, which is about, still about deep learning, but um, on a more philosophical level. And, and the question is this, what are your thoughts about deep learning in the next five to 10 years? Yes. Yeah, so, um, Obviously, I'm, uh, as it turned out, I'm pretty bad about predicting the future because in the 90s, I thought neural networks were no good and <laughs> they had no future. And only a <laughs> few people disagreed, actually. But anyway, so uh, having said that, um, I don't believe in any sort of general artificial intelligence. So I'm not afraid about um, any machine that will, I don't know, take over the world and eventually find out that people are bad and then get rid of all of us. Um, th that's that's obviously a good topic for science fiction movies. And I think people did this. And that's all good and fine. Um, I don't think this is going to happen. I think um, that there will be no major breakthroughs um, in deep learning um, on the course to general artificial intelligence. I think um, we will rather learn to use deep learning just as another tool of writing good software. I think we will get very good at recognizing um, structures, images, patterns with that. But that's obviously only one part of making an intelligent machine. So I don't expect to see self-driving cars in the five to in the next five to ten years. And that means a self-driving car that could drive in a big city like I live in Hamburg, Germany, big city. Uh, I don't expect to see that um, because um, um, the tiny details of people crossing the streets, um, that's, uh, from, from my uh, perspective, it's just too hard to solve, giving the current technology. Um, then there's deep reinforcement learning, which I also used, which is extremely promising um, if you have a good simulator. Um, but this is also much more brittle looking at the tools that I saw so far. Um, it's much more, still much more black box. Um, it's pretty complicated. But if if anything really new comes out, I would expect it from there. And my personal favorite is um, neural embeddings, where you turn all kinds of, I don't know, categories, symbols, words. You can turn them into um, basically, uh, how should I put it, a vector uh, that represents if it works well, the semantics of that category. And that for me is almost like magic. I did this several times where I had something, I don't know, uh, customer names, and I could uh, I could train a neural model um, to express similarity between customers. And that was, that was like the closest that, that for me could get to getting the idea that the machine is as smart as me. Um, and I also read, maybe I'm, I'm overdoing it in now a little bit, but I also read stuff that um, on on brain science 
that um, also similarities between concepts are represented in the same way as uh, distances between objects in the brain. And that was interesting. I'm not quite sure if it's right, but I read it somewhere. I could not like tell you if it's, it's right or wrong, but I thought that's, that's really nice because that's pretty much like what you do with uh, neural embeddings. And I use them very often now, and they are my favorite, and I think um, they will be very, very powerful tools in the next few years. Hmm. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I actually, I, I agree with you on the, word, on the embedding part. I've used word embedding when they were uh, the, the new unknown um, a few years ago. And uh, I also believe, and you know, they were super effective, like very, very interesting things, uh, you know, oh, yeah. that could allow you to make algebraic operations on, on the semantic meaning of words yes. and, and paragraphs of text as well. So that was really, it, it really looked like magics. Um, yeah. I also agree with you on the AGI uh, problem and hype, uh, you know, all these journalists, I, I've been blogging about that for for a couple of years already like guys you know don't believe this 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 agi taking over the world and and killing us all it's it's just <laughs> it's it's fascinating That's because it's story. uh it's um it's cruel but but it's not real uh, that's for yeah. sure um i don't know if i totally agree on your statement about autonomous vehicles um you're right that with this current technology you know having uh, having autonomous vehicles that can drive in uh, in Hamburg as well as in New York and I'm I'm from southern Italy and there are no there's no ma machine learning there that can drive there I'm telling you <laughs> so uh, I would be able to drive there I suppose <laughs> <laughs> I believe that you know driving is a social activity so it depends on the population where so you need to train in fact a different let's say model neural network i don't think neural network is enough for autonomous vehicles but you know you have to train technologies that drive in different countries with different demographics I, that's my opinion because the habit the, the driving habits of people across the world are very different go to albania and india and it's not the same as driving in california you know so i don't expect these you know models that universally apply across the planet um, so that's where I see the difficulty, but I don't see uh, not happening in the next 10 years. It's my personal point of view. Uh, maybe th that will be helped by, you know, the problem will be helped by, for example, of fixed landmarks um, like road signs now. So we could be facing some kind of road signs 2.0. Uh, maybe that can help. Definitely, yeah, we are on the same page on many, on many things you said. This is my... Uh, 10 cents on the topic. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> All right, Oliver, it was very nice to, to talk to you and um, know and what you're working Sorry. on. So we should definitely stay in touch. If you want to give the listeners some of your contacts, emails, if you want to share or your Twitter handle, that will be very helpful for them to get in contact with you. Sure, I'd be happy to was nice <laughs> all right so to the listeners of this episode we you will find all this information uh, for example the course we also have uh, coupon codes so that you can access the course with a, a very nice discount which is always good to have and you will find all this on the show notes of these episodes at podcast.datasunsetone.com thanks for listening and talk to you next time this was data science at home the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. 
You can also find us on datascienceathome.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening.